Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of First Peter. That's where we'll be this morning. First Peter, uh, chapter two, and in First Peter chapter two, we're going to pick up right in verse four. In fact, this morning, I'm only going to kind of stick to two verses, and so uh, we should definitely be out of here by four or five p.m. First Peter two, verses uh, four and five, and uh, as you're turning there, I don't know if you've noticed this. Um, but as a, as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, you're, you're not like those around you. Like, well, let me phrase that. As a Christian, as a follower of Christ, you shouldn't be like those around you. Now, we have the same jobs. We, we, we do. I'm a pastor, so I, but I haven't always been a pastor. I, I, in fact, I was watching that video, and I know what it is to be balancing my leave sheet uh, on my pay slip to figure out if I have enough leave to take vacation for VBS and camps and mission trips and what like I, I've been there before I I understand that process you know like I, we have the same same jobs that's not what's different about us we well we're married and like lost people are married like that you know we all eat food which is awesome uh, we we have families and um, your family is probably just as messed up as families who do not know Jesus sometimes. You get to know him, you're like, wow, okay, this is like you. So there's the difference is not that we live in, in this world and that we struggle with the results of sin and that we have to work and labor and toil and that childbirth hurts for every woman. You know, it's just there are things that are common to everybody. You, you don't stand out as different because you are in a different world. You stand out as different because you're someone made completely new, top to bottom, as a follower of Christ that is now in a world that has yet to be redeemed. Now, you don't, you don't fit, and you, you shouldn't. We, we've experienced that before, right? I mean, every person in here, whether this is inappropriate or not, I don't know, but I'm just going to say, every person in here has like walked into the wrong bathroom, right? Now, have you had that experience where every guy, where you go, this just, there's something wrong. It's odd. And then someone walks in and you realize, oh my goodness, this is not where I belong. We have been there before. And that feeling of, I just, I don't belong in this place, I'm, I'm different. We know what that feels like. You ought to feel like that as a follower of Christ. And as new followers of Christ that Peter is writing to, new relative literally to Christianity as we know it, as he's writing to them, he's helping them reconcile what it is to be new in a culture that hasn't changed. Now, you might be in here and say, well, culture all around us had changed. It used to be easier to be a Christian. Well, no, it used to be easier to be a lost Christian named as a Christian because everyone around you had Christian language. But still, nonetheless, it was difficult to live as a Christian. And even in Peter's uh, audience that he's writing to, nothing has really changed around them except what is inside of them. Now as followers of Christ, as in verse 1, chapter 1, the elect of the dispersion, those whom God has saved and are scattered around the Roman Empire, 
They haven't changed cities, but God has changed them, and they are still in those cities, and now they feel different. And for through the first chapter and a half of Scripture, Peter is helping them understand that, like, they don't belong in their culture anymore. And, well, they, they shouldn't belong because God has called them and they're different. But they, they have a living hope in God through Jesus Christ because Jesus is alive. And they didn't know that before. That they're going to endure and they are enduring difficult trials as followers of Christ because they are Christians and they're enduring those because God has worked a miracle in their heart that even though they haven't seen Jesus, they love him. And even though they still don't see him, they, man, they give their lives for him and they believe in him, this miracle of salvation. That they're to set their mind on holy things because God has called them to be holy, not better than culture, to be holy, not more moral than your neighbors, to be holy as God himself is holy and that they ought to love one another where first peter ended last week that they ought to love one another in purity and long for pure teaching simply because they believe in god and you have in common with others who believe in god the same beautiful reality that you are all different together and so this text reminds us that Everything about us is different because of who God is. And here's what Peter hasn't done. He just says at the beginning in chapter 1, listen, y'all are suffering. He hasn't even touched the topics of where they're suffering yet. He takes all of chapter 1 and begins to drive home. Man, here's what God has done for you. Here's what God has done for you. Here's what God has done for you. Here's who you are now in Christ. Here's what this looks like in life. Here's how God describes you over and over and over. Because what Peter wants to be really careful of is that he doesn't uh, accidentally attract them to something that Jesus is not. You know, it's, it's easy to be attracted to the wrong it's easy to take a pig and paint lipstick on it and call it Christianity when really in reality the substance of what it is is so contrary to what scripture says but it looks and smells kind of like one with the perfume but underneath it it looks nothing like being like a biblical Christian and Peter's looking at this going like look I know you have suffering we're totally going to get to that in the second half of the book of first Peter. But right now, I just want to make sure that you know what it is believe you believe and who it is you have believed in. And this is where we begin to enter the text. Because oftentimes the be the Jesus or the being a Christian in cultural Christianity, man, it sounds really good often if we believe that Jesus is someone who's to help us with things in life and make us good at our job, and help us, with, uh, help us have a good marriage, and maybe our kids won't turn out bad. But then, like, the reality of life hits you, doesn't it, followers of Christ who've been doing it for a long time? And suddenly you realize in your job that, wait a minute, now as a Christian, I'm, I'm facing a pink slip, or a bad eval, because I didn't go out with the guys or the girls. Or, as a follower of Christ, I'm, I'm trying to be what God's called me to be, but my spouse isn't a believer. And this is like creating all sorts of tension right now. 
Or I'm a follower of Christ and my boss is asking me to do something that I just know like is not right. Or I'm a follower of Christ and God has called me and changed me, but like I don't feel different right now because that bird cancer came across and it just feels really hard right now. And so what Peter's going to do today in 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 4 and 5, has helped them see what God has done in the first chapter, what God has done for them, and now who God is making them as followers of Christ. And in fact, if you're going to write just one thing down this morning, it's simply this, that God has made me worthy to make his worth known. Y'all can check out and make lunch reservations now until the end of the sermon because you now know what I'm going to say the rest of the time. Peter's going to help them see, listen, now as a follower of Christ, here's the driving motivation. Here's what God is doing in you. Here's who he is making you. And then we're going to talk about after this the things that you struggle in because you got to know who it is you believed in and what you believe so that as you're facing these things, you have a firm foundation of a living Hope that is alive in you. And I want to make sure that you here at First Baptist Church of Norfolk on Volvo understand what it is that God has done for you, what he's doing in you, and who you are. Because when you leave this place, you are going to a culture that you should not fit in. And it wouldn't matter if it was 50 years ago or another country. You, as a follower of Christ, just are not designed to be of this world, but rather you are a follower of Christ, Him inside you, now in this world. And we have to figure out what in the world does this mean. And this passage is going to teach us that what God is doing in you is teaching you what truly has eternal worth and what you can offer others that has worth Or to say it like this, man, that God has made you worthy so that you can make his worth known. In fact, look at 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 4. And Peter begins like this. He says, So, as you come to him, a living stone... Rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, verse 5, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Look at verse 4. You see, the first thing that Peter does is he helps the, the audience that he's writing to and you and me understand that what God is doing in Jesus Christ in your life is helping you realize the stark difference between what he finds valuable and what perhaps the world does. And he's going to build on that in verse 5. But for right now, look at what he does in verse 4. He says, as you come to him, he begins by saying, listen, there is a connection between your movement toward Christ and God moving in you. It's kind of like when your child needs help and you say, son or daughter, come here. 
Now, what you're telling them is I can help you and I'm right here. And if you take a step toward me, I, I got you all day long. But if you want to sit there and pout, sit there and pout. I have a two-year-old. We do that all the time. When you're done whining, I'm right here. We'll keep on moving on. We know that there's a connection between our movement toward God and God's movement toward us. This is not what saves us. That's all of God. But now as followers of Christ, Peter is telling him, listen, as you begin to move toward him, a living stone rejected by men, but chosen and precious. Okay, don't let your theological alarms go off here because the word choice is here, right? Like it's in the Bible. And here's what God is saying. Listen, the living stone of Jesus Christ was selected by God, chosen by God, and is, some of your translations say, valuable or worthy, mine precious. And here's what we get to see. What Peter is pointing out, that Jesus Christ is the one whom God has chosen, who came in the form of God, who was God himself, and says, this is what is worthy. Now watch what he does in verse 5. Look at what he does in verse 5. That you yourselves, like living stones, comparing to who Jesus is, just like a living stone, are being built up as a spiritual house. Peter reminds them all of the choosing, all of the worth, all of the value that God has found in Jesus Christ, he now finds in you. Did you know that as a follower of Christ? Did you know that right now, sitting where you are as a follower of Christ, when God looks at you, he sees the supreme worth of the righteousness of Christ in your life. He doesn't look at your faults and your failures. He's not judging you by whether or not you had the ability to follow him well the first 40 years of your life. All of that was condemned on Jesus Christ on the cross. The worthlessness of life that you often feel by your sin and sorrow has now been taken away and put on Christ. And when he looks at you, he says, listen, I know what I'm doing in this one. I'm building this one up just like my son Jesus, as chosen and worthy. If you're in here this morning and you feel worthless as a follower of Christ, you have the same worth and value as the standing of Jesus Christ before God. How beautiful is that? That God has designed a way for you who were separated by sin to now be reconciled back to himself. That you who were dead in sin are now alive with Christ. That God has raised you up to be seated at the right hand of God where Christ is so that in the age to come he might show the surpassing grace and kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. Y'all, that's just the gospel. That Peter says, listen, I know you're going through hard times, but before we get to the specific hard times, here's what you need to know. You have to know that God finds you so worthy as if you were Jesus Christ himself because that's whose life is alive inside of you. Let me ask you a question. When, it, when, when, you, when you picture yourself before God, do you picture yourself as worthy of being there? I didn't say that you were worth and you earned it there. That's not what I'm saying. Oh, no, no, you can never earn standing before God. That's not how it works. But rather, as a follower of Christ, if you're not a follower of Christ, this doesn't apply to you. 
when you stand before someone who is holy and perfect and righteous, whose literal glory expands out in all directions and lightning bolts coming down and the thunder that rolls around his throne and the the picture in Revelation of those who are casting down their crowns before him. And when you stand in that moment, let me ask you a question. What is holding you back? What is holding you back from seeing yourself as worthy of being there? Because when you stand in that moment, God's not going to say you earned it. That's not what I'm talking about. But God is going to say, you know what I see? I see Jesus. I see his life. I don't see someone sinful and worthless. You have the supreme worth of my son because I gave it to you through him. Follower of Christ, how much does that help us in a culture that feels crazier and crazier only because we're more and more aware as we see things around us and wonder, God, do you hear me? (laughs) Of course he hears you. God, do I have any value left here? Oh, of course you have value. That God has placed the supreme value of Jesus Christ's life and you and before him, man, you are worthy. That as a living stone, you are being built up as a spiritual house. Here we go to be a holy priesthood. See, we... We wonder why. And we're going to get to that as we continue to go through the book of 1 Peter. Like, why did he make me like this? Is it because I'm awesome? No, to be a holy priest. Now, what does it mean to be a priest? Well, a priest in the Bible is just simply someone who, in a very uh, condensed summary, would represent God to the people and the people to God. A priest's job was to present sacrifices and offering to a holy God and to represent the people to God and come back and represent God to the people. And here's what Peter says. You as a follower of Christ have been made and are being made into someone who represents God to those around you and represents those around you to God. That the supreme worth that God has placed in you in Jesus Christ is not for nothing, but rather to see that everything in life is worthless compared to knowing Jesus Christ. That you are in your place where you work, the relationships that you have, the family that you were born into or that you inherited or that you married into, that you are in this place in Hampton Roads to be a holy priesthood, one whom God has made holy that represents him to the people and that our God would hear about the people that he's placed us around because we are priests in this place. And then he gets into the rest of the chapter which you'll have to come back next week to figure out as we continue on through. But as we close out this morning, this beautiful reality that what God has done in us in Christ is made us worthy so we can make his worth 
known. This, this principle, this idea, this theological truth is going to build much of the rest of First Peter. And so I want to ask you a question. Where in it, when it comes to where you do not fit in culture, where it feels like as a follower of Christ, there's a rub with what those are doing around me. When it seems like as a follower of Christ, now as a Christian, this makes me feel weird and out of sync and different. What would it look like in your life to be embrace the reality that God has placed you there, not just to feel weird, but to represent him? What would it look like in your sin with those around you to represent who God has made you and what he is doing? What would it look like in your relationship at work to represent God and who he is and what he's doing? What does it look like with your bosses that are just, let's be real, bosses sometimes can just be unjust is what the Bible uses. Now, my boss is Eric. He's always perfect. But everybody else, everybody else, I'm sure, right? Like, what would it look like to be, to, 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 as you struggle with those things that are coming against you as a Christian around you to, to represent God to those who are there? What does it, what does it look like in your marriage? Peter's going to give a really easy answer through the rest of it that has really hard implications, and it's simply this. Well, it looks like Jesus, because that's who you are. So that gives us an easy application. Man, that, that God has made you a living stone being built up to a spiritual house that you would offer sacrifices pleasing to God in every area of life. So simply put, what would it look like, practical application, in your sin to face your temptation, which is where the text goes right after this, to face your temptation as if Jesus himself was facing it. Jesus knows what it is to face temptation. But what would it look like to be Jesus in a government so that those around you would look at how you respond to the government you may or may not like around you. How would it look if Jesus himself was doing that? Because Jesus knows what it's like to be under a human institution that he does not agree with. In fact, they killed him, if you remember. What would it look like for those that are over you, that are unjust or unfair or even good and right bosses to look at you and see Jesus? What would that look like? What would it look like in your suffering for those around you to look and see Jesus? Oh, Jesus knows what it is to be under unjust rulers and to, be, to endure suffering at their hands, does he not? What would it look like to be in a relationship right now in your relationship? If everything else is chaotic, that everyone would look and say, okay, that that person looks like Jesus. And a summary question, basically, here it is. What would it look like in a culture that does not look like who you are? You don't look like them anymore. 
for them to look at you and say, you know, I don't like them and I don't agree with them. They're crazy. But to be with them is to be like Jesus in their suffering. To be with them is to be like Jesus working for me, you know? Man, to be with them is like to be like Jesus responding to this news report that is incredibly biased. No matter which channel you watch, it doesn't matter. They're all, that's what they do. Man, to be with this person is to be like Jesus. Do you know why we can ask that question? Because God has made you worthy and your role now is to make his worth known and in making the worth of God known as you draw near to him, you're made into him and others who come around you are seeing, man, that, that's what Jesus looks like, whether they know it or not. So let's spend some time thinking about that. In fact, with every head bowed and every eye closed, as we close out here in just a second with one more worship song, as you are looking at a culture around you, whatever that's defined as, maybe you're in the military or you're just by just a mom, you know what I mean, that is an understatement, or you're married and trying to figure out what does it look like to be godly and single maybe, or like what, what does it look, I'm, I'm, I'm sick and doctors don't know, what, like what does this look like to me? We're, we're gonna get to those things, but for right now, why don't you ask God, God, what does it look like so that I could represent you to everyone around me in this and that you would hear about everyone around me in this situation? That I would live out this holy priesthood that you've given me, that I, I know that you've made me worthy and that I would express the worth of who Christ is even in the midst of this difficulty. Why don't you spend some time asking the Lord, what does that look like? Let's pray.
Years ago, I had a friend, as you're spending time in prayer, we were part of a small group that had a, because of the job we had, and every time we would go out or go on training or whatever, and they would go out, and I would go grab something to eat, and then go check on them, and then give them a ride home whenever they were gone or whatever, or find them wherever they ended up in the city. And uh, so I tell you that a couple of years ago, after I'd moved on to another job, I got this random phone call. My wife and I were actually sitting in an airport uh, going on vacation. I got this random phone call. And um, I, I saw his note. I hadn't talked to him in, since I left. And uh, I said, hey, bro, what's up? And he said, man, I just, I want to call and say thank you. Like, we're, we're the same now. <laughs> Are we in the same airport? Like, we're, we're the, I don't know. So we're the same now. I said, what do you mean we're the same now? He said, I gave my life to Christ, and I wanted to call and thank you for all the times that I made fun of you and that you didn't go out and that you kept guilting me about being a Christian. Now, here's, I never guilted him. All I did was, like, go get something to eat and not get wasted. You know, like, that was, like... That was, if you're a follower of Christ in the military, all you have to do is show up on time in the right uniform, halfway decent shape, and you're like, you're already 90% ahead of the game, right? He said, but we're the same now, and I just wanted to thank you because you always reminded me of what it was to be a Christian. Now listen, I'm not telling you that to brag in any way, because I have, I'm not going to tell you, but I was not always representative of Christ in my job. But what I am saying is that you never know how your representation of Christ today is going to work in their heart to bring them to Christ tomorrow. You never know. In fact, if you're in here this morning and you're not a follower of Christ, I wonder if you can pinpoint someone who is and at some point shared the gospel with you and realized that they were different. And if they weren't different, but they shared the gospel with you, but still were doing all the things that everyone around them did, I want to apologize. That is not how a Christian should be. But if you're in here today and you would say, I, I know that God has called me. I, I've seen what it looks like for someone to become a follower of Christ. They're, man, they really are different. Like they have a living hope that I don't have. I, I want you to know that may, today is the day you can give your life to Christ. That you who are dead in your sin apart from Christ can confess your sin and believe on Jesus and be saved. That God has worked out so that that is the way that you your sins are atoned for, are paid for fully, taken away. And on top of that, he gives you the perfect righteousness. It's a fancy church word in the Bible that means meeting the standard. That he gives you the very perfect standard that God has met. And so I wonder if in here this morning there's someone who all these years later, finally it just clicks and you get it. Whether it was through someone years ago guilting you or by their example or someone who just shared the gospel or God's opening your eyes right now. In fact, if that's you, I'd like to give you an opportunity right now to believe in Jesus Christ. In fact, if that's you with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, it sounds something like this to God. You just talk to him. You say, dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. 
he'll agree with you because he said everyone's sinning falling short of the glory of God. And then if that's you, you say, dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I believe that you sent Jesus to die for my sin. He'll say, yeah, that's, that's what I did. Because the Bible says that he became sin who knew no sin so that we would become the righteousness of God in him. And so you tell God, dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I believe that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sin. That you raised him to life on the third day and that you offer me his perfect life. Then you ask him, God, would you save me? You believe the Bible, man. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you of sin and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. That whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so right now, if that's you, would you just take some time say, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I believe that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sin and that you raised him from the dead on the third day. I'd ask that you would forgive me of my sin, that you would save me and allow me to walk with you. That's believing the gospel. I want you to know that right now, if that's you, you are a brand new person. That if that's you, God is going to has made you new before him and he is making you new as a holy priesthood to represent him to the people and the people around you to God. He wants to hear about those around you and help you deal with what God is, what, what's going on in your life. And for all of us, you need to be here the next few weeks. You need to be here every week, but you need to be here the next few weeks, especially as we figure out what this being a holy priest looks like in the practical reality of life. And you need to bring somebody along who needs to hear that as well. So let me pray for us. Let's respond to the Lord. If today you gave your life to Christ and would like to talk to somebody during this time, I'll be up front. If there's something you need to lay before the throne as we sing, feel free to come to the steps and pray. But whatever it is, let's walk out of here more in love with Jesus and more like him than when we came in. Let's pray, come and stand and sing and respond. Jesus, I thank you so much for being so good to us. I pray, God, that you would help us to respond with courage and conviction as you desire. Lord, I pray that you would give us just grace as we sing this last song, that we would respond appropriately to you. It's in your name I pray.